birthday, Jesus. Mama said that you was near and that you had a birthday this time every year. She told me how you listen to every word we say and that you hear us calling in the night or windy day. She explained how bad they hurt you, those awful naughty men, but said you let them do it for girls like me what then. She said about the manger they took and put you in. I'd let you have my blanket if I was here back then. She said that you are watching everything we do. Her and Daddy and Granny and our new baby too. I like when Mama told me of how you healed the lame and that they didn't have to have any wealth or fame. She told she was so awful good and then she made me cry. She said they nailed you to the cross. They wanted you to die. She said that you forgave them cause you was dying for our sin. And then it made me happy when she said you came back again. Mama said that Christmas is what we celebrate because on that day you was born. So I hope I'm not too late to wish you happy birthday. Dear Jesus, I'll be true. Cause Mama said if I was good, you'd let me live with you. Faith through the letterbox. Yeah? Nice to find you home. We're leaving the watchtower to wait for people to read. Is it about what's it about? Um, this one's talking about how to find real happiness in your life. Has it got the devil in it? Um, this one's um, from the Bible. Are there pictures of nude women in it? No, no, not at all. No. No, because I don't want that sort of thing. It's from the Bible. Is there any sort of pictures of the from devil in there? No, there's some pictures though. Who are you? Are you Where'd the you, devil? Where's your home's witnesses? Are you God's wife? Like Are you God's wife? No, I'm not. No, I'm one of Joe's witnesses. Is God's wife there? No. No? No. Because I'd like to meet her. Well... Has she got a beard? Would you like to take the magazines or not? Sorry? Would you like to take the magazines? Well, it all depends what's in it, you know. Well, you just told you what's in it. Just talking about how to find... Are you wife. God's wife? What do you think? I don't know. can't see you. Alright, see you another time. Poke your head down a bit. Alright. Bye-bye. If you see God's wife, say hello. I love you. Bye.
folks I know, they need their morning coffee. They need their morning coffee to help face the day. But all I need is his sweet inspiration in my life to pick me up and get me on my way. I have a cup of Jesus first thing in the morning. I have a cup of Jesus to get my spirit up. I fill me to the rim with the love that pours from him. Ah, the goodness of Jesus is always worth a second cup. Some folks I know, they wrestle with the devil. They wrestle with the devil, cause they ain't seen the light. Someday soon I'll have them come for breakfast, yes I will, and show them how to start the day out right. We'll have a cup of Jesus first thing in the morning. We'll have a cup of Jesus to get our spirits up. We'll fill us to the rim with the love that pours from Him. Ah, the goodness of Jesus is always worth a second cup. We'll have a cup of Jesus. First thing in the morning, we'll have a cup of Jesus to get our spirits up. We'll fill us to the rim with the love that pours from Him. Ah, the goodness of Jesus is always worth a second cup. Yeah, the goodness of Jesus is always worth a second cup. All these blessings are mine. Many of us want to have blessings, but we want to put things before God. Get our blessings and then forget about God. But if you do as it says in Matthew 6 and 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and righteousness and all other things shall be added unto you. Before you want your blessing, you got to seek God first before you want everything else. You got to give up something for the Lord first and then he'll give up something for you. How can you seek God first? To seek God first before everybody else, the number one thing you do, as you know I say, you must be saved. You got to do as it says in Romans 10, 9, For if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe within thine heart that God has raised him up from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If you get down on your knees in the prayer and tell the Lord, God, I surrender all. Come into my heart, Lord. I'm sorry for all of my sins. I'm sorry for all I've done wrong. Come into my heart and rule my life and take over me. Then after you accept the Lord, you must do as it says in St. Matthew 3 and 2. And saying, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You've got to repent of all of your sins. Tell the Lord you sorry for all you've done wrong. Tell the Lord I'm sorry for that drink that I drunk too much of. I'm sorry for that smoke when I smoke too much of it. I'm sorry for that gambling when I gambled too 
much. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Ah, so Jesus at McDonald's at midnight. Said he wasn't doing all right. Said he didn't feel so fine, fine, fine. Said he's about to lose his mind. I said, Mama, hoping Santa Claus. She said it was because of little Paul. That's why she had to have a myself late last night I met next to my wife she got she got she got she started to run I said look out baby here Saw Mother Mary and Roberto's in El Cajon. She just got back from the twilight. I saw Confucius at a Kentucky Fried Chicken. He said, Mojo Nixon, it's a finger licking. Take me down by the power line. Take me down 
In your address to the Royal Society tomorrow, you intend to reveal the fossilised remains of the infant Christ. How do you feel that will go down? Well, um, it is a remarkable discovery. A, a group of us were up in the Promised Land, as I believe it was called, and we were just rooting around for some sticks to start a fire with. And by some accident, this tiny little um, form had been preserved perfectly. So I, I picked it up, put it in my knapsack, and brought it home and had it scientifically examined at my institute. It's um, Christ at the age of um, about nine months. Just beginning to walk, more, more crawling than walking, crawling across the desert in search of um, followers, really. And then, of course, he, um, he died. So what are the implications, then, if Christ was fossilised when he was that small? He was practising resurrection. Because if you're going to resurrect yourself in front of thousands of people and found a whole religion on it, you don't want to make a cock-up, do you? So from a very early age, he was, he was uh, dropping dead and resurrecting himself. There's probably thousands and thousands of bodies of Jesus, and this is just the youngest one. A series of larvae? Almost, yes, pupae. In fact, he never really got it right at the end. I mean, it's not as if he was pronounced dead on the cross and then flew up and flapped his wings and said, hello, boys. He, uh, he did it rather complicated way. He had to be put in a cave or boulder, put in front of it. I mean, Paul Daniels could do that. But uh, So I think he never really quite got the hang of it. 
Could you tell how quickly these practice resurrections happened? It took about six months. He died, as planned. Then, just as he was passing away, he suddenly forgot how to do it. But instinct carried him through, um, and uh, uh, gradually he um, resurrected himself. By which time he was um, under the sand because of the wind, and uh, he not only had resurrected himself, he had to fight his way to the surface, and of course died whilst doing that. Suffocation. Suffocation. He, he was smothered by sand, so he died again. And there's some controversy about whether my tiny Christ is in fact the nine-month-old um, TC or the nine-and-a-half-month. This fits in with your theory that as Christ practised resurrection throughout his life, he didn't do it flawlessly, did he? He produced several of himself at once. Well, there was a time when uh, he overdid it and reproduced 18 other Christs. So he had to wipe out 17 of them. But he had to stop them resurrecting themselves once they'd done it. Yes, he had to keep them underwater. I think St Paul mentions it in passing. Now, have you spoken to the Vatican about this? I've had words with their envoy over here, the special nuncio, and uh, he's absolutely thrilled a bit, and has suggested uh, some, uh, a venue where we could uh, put it up and have it um, start earning its keep. But does he know that you intend to clone from its tissue? No, I haven't gone into that with him, because, frankly, um, it's none of his business, and it, it, it is a business. Who's putting up the money for this? Uh, Honda. Now, when or if this is successful, mm -hmm. what do you feel the result of it will be? Well, I am very much hoping to be the first to shake Jesus by the hand and say, well done. How far are you prepared to take this? Say the experiment is four-fifths successful and you end up with some animated tissue which is not particularly man-like, would you allow that to carry on living? Well, I think one would go on gut reaction. I think if one had three quarters of Jesus, you'd know that it was Jesus, and I would settle for that. If there's a what diagnostic bit, signs are you going to um, go for? Just uh, make it Jesus. breathing. A voice? A voice, yes, maybe, but he could, he could sign his message. You know, he could wave his hands around like they do on Channel 4. Who will provide the words in that case? Well, then we pre-record something um, with uh, Martin Jarvis or um, John Hurt or somebody suitable could do the voice under. Project a little sort of uh, moving shape over his mouth? We could like get, we could probably just with an elastic band, we could get some movement. And where would the words come from? Oh, we just, we just do whatever he said in the Bible, the same stuff, just recycle it a bit. You know, what he said was perfectly good. I think you know what I'm getting at. I'm actually trying to find out whether you will be using him as some sort of conduit for your own warped ideas. No, 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 it'll be his warped ideas, not mine. And what role do BMW play? Uh, they'll be furnishing the vehicles. Will he not be frightened by <laughs> modern transport? Yes, uh, the Sony Corporation are interested in uh, a sort of hover donkey. It can move at about 110 miles an hour. Now, I'm told that the Japanese are more seriously involved than that. Uh, in the miniaturization of Jesus, yes, uh, because given his consent, of course. And what will the Japanese do with these miniature Christs? 
they will market them in the normal way because there's a lot of people out there, people who are yearning to find Christ and who don't have the time to go out and look for him in person who would like to have Christ through the letterbox. How will they eat? Who? These micro-Christs. Conventionally, I think, through a tiny little uh, tube which will be supplied. And how will you guarantee their safety against... Theft. And dogs? Well, showing a tiny Christ in Alsatian is like a red rag to a... a whatever they call those big things with horns. Bishops. Bishops, yes. So, no, there are no guarantees. You've got a tiny Christ, he's six inches high, he's about ooh, three centimetres deep, and he has all the organs. Where do they come in? Well, just to... Look, I don't want to. This will be rather preempting my address tomorrow. Um, all right, well, let, let, me, let, me, let me put it to you like this. Don't you think that if you clone Christ he will in some way want to remonstrate with you as soon as he can. Well, that's up to him. But um, he'll be pretty lost without the batteries. If Jesus came to your house... If Jesus came to your house to spend a day or two, if he came unexpectedly, I wonder what you'd do. Oh, I know you'd give your nicest room to such an honored guest, and all the food you'd serve to him would be the very best. And you would keep assuring him you're glad to have him there, that serving him in your own home is joy beyond compare. But when you saw him coming, would you meet him at the door with arms outstretched in welcome to your heavenly visitor? Or would you have to change your clothes before you let him in? Or hide some magazines and put the Bible where they've been? Would you turn off the radio and hope he hadn't heard and wish you hadn't uttered that last loud hasty word? Would you hide your worldly music and put some hymn books out? Could you let Jesus walk right in, or would you rush him about? And I wonder, if the Savior spent a day or two with you, would you go right on doing the things you always do? Would you go right on seeing the things you always say? Would life for you continue as it does from day to day? Would your family conversation keep up its usual pace? And would you find it hard each meal to say a table grace? Would you sing the songs you always sing and read the books you read and let him know the things on which your mind and spirit feed? Would you take Jesus with you everywhere you'd plan to go? Or would you maybe change your plans for just a day or so? Would you be glad to have him meet with your very closest friends? Or would you hope they'd stay away until his visit ends? Would you be glad to have him stay forever, on and on? Or would you sigh with great relief when he at last was gone? It might be interesting to know the things that you would do if Jesus Christ in person came to spend some time with you.
got me my stick Jesus sitting on dashboard of my car Going running it ain't scary Cause I got the Virgin Mary sitting on dashboard of my car I'm in the backseat sitting Jesus up there grinning Sitting on dashboard of my car Detroit, Michigan in 1976, and I'd been praying for weeks in the Holy Spirit. It was about two o'clock in the morning, God visited me. My husband and my children were in bed, and they were all asleep. As I was preparing to go to bed, suddenly a bright light appeared at the foot of my bed, and in the center of the light was Jesus Christ, and he was in the form of a human. He was about six foot three, very broad shoulders. He had eyes like rivers of eternity, and he had a Jewish look, and he had a Jewish haircut. He manifested himself to me in this way, and he reached out his hand out of the center of the light, and he said, Come, come with me. And immediately my spirit came out of my body, and I stood beside Christ, and I looked at my body on the bed by my husband, and the Lord Jesus said to me, Fear not, for you shall go with me, and we shall go down into the depths of hell. And he said unto me, Come, my daughter. And when he spoke, the top of my bedroom seemed to roll back, and I went up with Jesus through the roof of my home. And I looked back at my family, and he said, Fear not, for they shall be saved. As we were high into the heavens, I turned and looked at Jesus. He was full of glory and power, and such peace flowed from him. I was in a spirit form. He took my hand and said, I love you, fear not, for I am with thee. We began to go higher into the sky, and I could see the earth below. And out of the earth was types of tunnels that would spin around to the center point and back again. These moved high above the earth, and they were attached to different parts of the earth. They looked like giant dirty types of slinkies, and they moved all over the earth at times. What are these? I asked the Lord Jesus as we came near to one. These are gateways to hell, he said. We shall enter into one of these, into hell. And at this we begin to enter into one of the funnels. 
A deep darkness was all around us, and it smelled so horrible. It was hard to breathe. And along the sides of this tunnel were forms of all sorts embedded into the walls. Dirty gray forms of evil and forms of spirits that cried out to us. They could move out, but were still attached to the walls. A horrible smell and screams came from the insides of this tunnel. And at times I could make out their forms, and a dirty fog covered most of them. Oh Lord, what are these? I held tight to Jesus' hand as he said, These are evil spirits ready to be spewed upon the earth at certain times. Evil laughters rang out and screams of death and an odor that was so bad I could hardly breathe. Yes, I had all my senses in hell. There seemed to be a force of evil winds and a small suction force ahead of us. Light and dark shadows flashed in the darkness, and I also saw large snakes moving up ahead in the muck in the earth. Jesus said, We're about to enter the left leg of hell. Hell has a body lying in the center of the earth on her back. In hell there's no babies, there's no Monglo children, there's no crippled children. The youngest person that Christ and I talked to in hell, I think, was 23 years old. We stepped from the tunnel into hell and walked down a short way like a pathway into the left leg of hell. Jesus said, in the left leg of hell are many pits, and this tunnel branches off into other parts of hell. But we shall walk into the left leg of hell first. We came to a large bowl-shaped hole in the earth, and Jesus said, There are many such pits here. As far as I could see, there were pits in the earth, and in each pit dug until the earth was about four feet across and three feet deep, and brimstone was embedded into the insides of these pits. And in each pit was a soul that had died upon the earth that was encaged inside these pits. There was red-hot coals of fire, and in the center of this pit was another fire that had flames about one and a half foot high, which at times grew into large flames. There was a soul inside each pit, and this soul was caged inside a skeleton form. My Lord, I cried, can you not let them out? Oh, how sad was the sight of them. We walked up to the first pit, and then I heard a cry out of the center of it. And I saw the form of a skeleton crying, Jesus, have mercy. Oh, my Lord, I said, it was the voice of a woman. Her bones were showing through as, it, as she had a type of dress on. I don't know why. Her head was leaned forward and her, where her skull was showing, there was fire all around her skull. And where the eyes should have been were empty sockets. A small fire was burning around her feet where she was kneeling and she was clawing the sides of the pit in brimstone. And the fire was burning her hands and the old dead gray flesh was falling off as she dug. Great sobs shook her frame. Oh Lord God, she cried, I want out of here, I want out. As we watched, she got to the top of the pit with her feet and I thought she was going to get out. When a large demon with large wings that seemed to be broken at the top down by his sides ran to her. His color was a brownish black, and he had hair all over his large form, and the eyes of this demon were set way back in his head, and it was about the size of a large grizzly bear. He ran up to the woman and pushed her very hard back into the fires. 
I watched in horror as she fell into the flames. I felt so sorry for her. Oh, how sad, a picture of pain. Jesus said the judgment is set. We walked on again into the right leg of hell. And ahead of us, this is what I saw. We were on a pathway which was dry and burnt. Screams filled the dirty air, and the forces of death were all around. There was a stink so horrible I could hardly breathe. Demons of all kinds were going past us. They growled as they went past us but could not touch us. Demon spirits of all sizes and all sorts were going by and talking. Go, he said to the smaller imps and devils, do many evils, cause problems in home and, and cause harm. Rewards you shall have when you finish. Demons create a fantastic energy and are by nature ferocious. And when you cast a spell, you must know you will attract them. If demons are allowed freedom for venting the madness, they can be diabolical. They are the reasons behind haunted houses, howling storms, lost keys, droopy hair, nagging associates, and cool lovers. If you're strong, maybe you can ignore demons. But why not invite them into a magic circle? Your magic circle. Control their energies. Use them to see into your future beyond tomorrow. Throw a handful of rosebuds high into the air and let them fall and scatter where they will. Demons will gather. Their ranting and raving will create wild, exciting vibrations. While they wail, stare into the center of the circle. As you softly whisper the name of their demon king, he will come and answer any three questions about your future. As soon as he has spoken, perform a spell. Because the energy within the magic circle must be dissipated. What will escape and create havoc in your life? When the magic is done, destroy the circle. To make a magic circle, draw three foot wide, chalk circle and cover it with a fine wheat flour. Then place three black beans in the center and cover them with cloves, salt and basil. Three red candles should be flaming at the top part of the magic area. Now scatter the rosebuds. The demons will gather. Keep brave. They're helpless. Now will be the time for you to see into your future. Stare into the center of the circle, and as they will, softly whisper the name of their demon king. Softly. Sacra Elmerid. Demon energy is best used to stimulate clandestine relationships. Pallas, Aaron, Ozeon, 
in the name of Satan, the ruler of Earth, the king of Earth, the chief of the serfs, I command the forces of darkness to bestow their infernal power upon us. Save us, Lord Satan, from the treacherous and the violent. Oh, Satan, spirit of the Earth, God of liberty, open wide the gates of hell and come forth from the abyss by these names. Satan! Beelzebub! Leviathan! Asmodeus! Abaddon! Did Jesus really reveal the name of the Antichrist? I will report the facts. You can decide. In Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus said these words, And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning falling from the heavens. These words are written in Greek and translated to English. However, Jesus spoke these words originally in Aramaic, which is the most ancient form of Hebrew. As you know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. If a modern Jewish rabbi were to speak these words of Jesus today, he would speak them in Hebrew, much the same way that Jesus would have spoken them. So in Hebrew, Jesus said that he saw Satan falling as lightning from the heights or from the heavens. So what are the words for lightning and heights or heavens in Hebrew? From the Strong's Hebrew Dictionary, word number 1299, a primitive root word meaning to lighten or lightning or to cast forth, the word is barak. In the Strong's Hebrew Dictionary, word number 1300, lightning or by analogy a gleam, a flashing sword, or a brightness or a glittering the Hebrew word is Barak. So lightning, or a flash of light, in Hebrew is pronounced Barak or Barak. Now consider this amazing fact. The book of Isaiah is the source of origin for the Christian concept and understanding of Satan, or Lucifer, as Isaiah calls him, in chapter 14, especially in verses 12 through 19. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 14, Lucifer, or Satan, is credited with these words, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. In the verses of Isaiah that refer directly to Lucifer, several times it is mentioned that Satan has fallen from the heights or from the heavens. The Hebrew word used in this text for the heights from which Satan fell is Strong's Hebrew word 1116, pronounced Bama. Bama is most commonly used to refer to a high sacred place, as well as to the heights of the heavens or the clouds. In Hebrew, the letter Wa is often transliterated as a U. Some scholars use the O for this transliteration. It is primarily used as a conjunction to join concepts together. So to join in Hebrew poetry the concept of lightning or barak, and a high place like heaven or the heights of heaven, the letter U, or sometimes O, the Hebrew letter Wa, would be used. So, Barak O Bama, or Barak U Bama, in Hebrew poetry, similar to the style written in Isaiah, would translate literally as lightning, and the heights or the heavens or lightning from the heights of the skies or the heavens. The word Satan is 
Satan in Hebrew, a direct translation. So back to Jesus' prophecy in Luke chapter 10, verse 18. If spoken by a Jewish rabbi today, influenced by the poetry of Isaiah, he would say these words in Hebrew, the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, as, And I saw Satan as Barak Obama. Did Jesus reveal to us the name of the Antichrist? I report, you decide. interview features Klein Taylor, who was 10 years old when his cousins introduced him to a game, Dungeons and Dragons. In the 8th grade, he started drinking and doing drugs, and it was during that time that he met a friend, Snake, who introduced him to Satanism. He joined a satanic group known as the Sons of Satan. The group had grown in size to nearly 1,500 people, some as young as 11 years old. Like in D&D, they have witchcraft and stuff like that, which is a part of Satanism, too. I just took stuff from Dungeons & Dragons and used it as reality. I started liking the power, you know, to it that it gave me as I was killing things, killing people, animals. The more I played Dungeons & Dragons and the more I got involved in Satanism, 
they both become just about the same to me. The more I had, you know, looked into the groups and, you know, listened to them, the more it, it fed my mind, like, you know, hey, suicide's the way, you know, partying, drugs, and everything, and I started doing drugs and stuff. Motley Crue's Shout the Devil tape uh, had a big influence on me. The song Shout the Devil, and uh, in the beginning part, Shout the Devil part, it said, uh, be strong, you know, destroy and shout at the devil. And then on the, in the beginning, it said, we shall rule the afterwards forever. So I just figured, you know, join Satan and, you know, you'd have the power, you'd, you'd be able to take over the whole world. And Satanism, people looking at them like just street people or drug addicts or alcoholics, but there is, in our group, there was lawyers, nurses, doctors, and different, you know, they range from all kinds of backgrounds. When you hear the beat, well, it sounds so neat. You hear a happy sound, you want to gather around. It's contagious, makes you want to get involved. It's contagious, get involved, everyone. Clap your hands. Join together. Let's have a good time. You see a smiling face. Your troubles all erase. You hear a song begin. You want to join my right It's contagious. Don't you want to get involved? It's contagious. You want to get involved? You drop in the coin and he makes the scene. Push the right button and what have you got? Instant first aid, right on the spot. Instant first aid, right on the spot. Well, I think of God as the great computer. You feed him the facts, he's the institutor. He's got to be right, sure it's easy to see. Since the stars haven't fallen into the sea.
When I'm in trouble, he's like a silver lining. Although that does seem quite confining for the one who cares for people like me. He's not at all like we've described him to be. He's not at all like we've described him to be. Well, I think we ought to take a look and see what it says in the old, old book. For all of us have expressed our thoughts. His size, his shape, or what we've been taught. God as I walk through a wooded lane, I can hear God as all nature sings its refrain. But how can He hear you back? We can know God through the millions of stars above. We can know God because we know that God is love. We can know God in the thoughts we are thinking of. But how can He know you back? Don't you understand? With mystic powers, chanting mumbo jumbo words. God doesn't hear us through the forest. Doesn't hear us through the rain. God doesn't need creation's chorus just to hear me call His name. God doesn't know us through the sunshine. That's a wonderful way
that I think as I sit here with my darling daughters filled with the spirit that so miraculously raised up from death, how sad it would be if you pass away and not say this and that. Oh, no, my friends, death is dead. Don't you be afraid of death. You can look death in the face and say, oh, death, where's your 